less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, it's a it's a special day today. It is. Yeah, it's what's, doubly uh, special. Yeah, is what's uh, what's everyone's favorite day? April fifteenth. April fifteenth, tax day. Tax yep. day. Normally well, tax day. Um, COVID year, it's it's a month off, but April fifteenth is still burned into everyone's mind. In Oklahoma, really we're is. June fifteenth because we had COVID and a freeze, and for some reason. That's worth, uh, what, three-month extension? Yeah. Two months that's extension? What it, it, if you add it up, that's what it, it goes to every time, three months. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're really uh, honored and fortunate to have a great tax planner with us today uh, on this tax day. And we get an extra month or so, so you guys, the listeners, can actually use some of this stuff maybe. Uh for their taxes, which is kind of cool. That's maybe be the only time that this may apply that you can record something on tax day and still use that advice, right? <laughs> I'm not sure that they can use it Very on true. last year's taxes. We'll let John talk about that. <laughs> but it's not too early to begin planning and begin aware, being aware. Exactly, exactly. So. Well, let's go ahead and introduce uh, the founder of Financial Gravity, um, John Pollock. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Man, so so glad that you could join us today. Um, what's uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods with tax planning? Are you in the thick of it? No, because I don't. I you know I I turned the, the reins over to the the company um, that I founded uh, to a different CEO. We're so I'm not as busy. Uh, I do have clients, and so there are some calls, but. It's actually, you know, normally this would not be a day for a tax planner to be interviewed because that I was surprised when we scheduled. It. I was like, "Are you serious? Like, yeah, no, what's, what's wrong here?" This is a bad day for them. And in a lot of the the tax planners that we work with, we have about three hundred and fifty CPAs and EAs uh, in the Tax Master Network that we work with to train on on some of the problems that we see in the accounting industry, which I'm sure we'll at least touch on today. But um, Today is just they they're they're heads down. They're pretending like it's still the deadline because what's interesting about the 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 movement of the date is none of the tax planners are happy about it. Really? Why is we that? Are. We like the extra 30 days, but it's because it's a crunch time and and there's some relief when the 15th mm. is over. You know, they stay yeah. up till midnight to, on the 15th, they sleep in the next day. They usually will take the week off after. So if you call an accountant three days after the 15th, chances are they're in Cabo. So they just, they usually work to the midnight hour on the 15th and then take the week off after and then start, you know, tackling extensions. So extending it for them last year kind of made sense. This year really doesn't make sense. Everybody has their data. Um, yeah. You know, Oklahoma was even a little nuttier. We froze two in Texas and we didn't get an extension. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's that old, I don't know why Oklahoma line, that old uh, adage that work <laughs> expands to fill the time allotted. And I know the CPAs right. I'm working true. with, you're exactly right. They're not happy about it because they still have September. Their, their year is a full year and all we've done is junk a bunch of it up. Yeah. Yeah, and and so they've been trying to keep the date with their clients and trying to hit, you know, so they can get the bulk of stuff done. And then mm -hmm. instead of it, you know, 
it just all you're doing is spreading out the same work over a longer period of time. And they, there is some comfort in knowing that whew, the 15th is gone. Now, the 15th, and this is actually good for people to know, uh, especially business owners, the real date isn't April 15th. April 15th is a filing deadline. So yeah. it, and it's when the clock typically starts ticking on uh, interest and penalties. So right. you really don't have to, you have to file something by the 15th. You have to file an extension. You have to file your return. Um, you have to file something. You have to kind of raise your hand and say, I want to push it off six months. So, yeah. but the clock, if I owe a thousand dollars, the interest starts accruing on the 16th this year, obviously it's a, it's different, but typically that's really the only impact of April 15th. So it's, mm. it really is a date that's burned into a lot of our minds, but for a business owner, the real date is six months from now, October 15th. Right. That's the, you know, before we jump in the weeds too much, uh, John, I, heard about you from a friend of mine in Dallas, who's a member of a group called Renaissance Executive Forum. And I think you spoke there maybe a month ago. And my uh, friend and former client called me up and he was just thrilled. He said, you've got to listen to this guy. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. But can I also have heard you speak before uh, on podcasts and interviews. Can you give us a little bit of your background, uh, how you wound up doing this and uh, how, how it came to be? And before we get into the real. Yeah, it really is strange. I'm not a CPA. Hmm. So that's the first question I get asked is, are you a CPA? There is a, an interesting problem in the marketplace. And the analogy I use is if we're all standing around uh, talking about Chick-fil-A um, and imagine one of you says, hey, John, I went to Chick-fil-A and they, their new cheeseburger is really fantastic. And I say, I don't think Chick-fil-A has cheeseburgers. And then another one of you chimes in. It's like, no, no, I, I've heard that too. I haven't had one, but I've heard that too. It's kind of nutty to think that people would be talking about a cheeseburger at a place that doesn't serve burgers. That's kind of the best analogy I can come up with the accounting industry. <laughs> the accounting industry needs to do two things for their clients. Number one, they need to help their clients. And this is what their clients want from them. They want lower personal income taxes and they want numbers that help them run their business better. And accountants are providing neither of those two services. Accountants are numbers historians. So that's kind of how I got into this business is that I, in 2002, um, I lost a job. I had just moved to Dallas. Um, I was in um, outsource business to business sales. So how did I get into, I mean, it's a really strange road to get here. So I don't want to go through the whole story, but I got into financial planning. And as I started doing more financial planning stuff, I started realizing there's a real big need in the tax business. And if we can get the taxes right, everything else kind of falls into place. And I, mm. you know, typical entrepreneur is, I, I kind of looked around, I was like, how, am I the only one that's noticing this? I don't, I don't understand why I'm the only one that's noticing this. I went to a, a class at the time. They've changed the companies now as Taxmaster Network, but at the time they had a class. Um, they didn't really work with financial advisors because financial advisors aren't real good at this this kind of thing, um, and they couldn't implement. They can maybe talk about the concepts, but financial advisors typically want to sell product, and accountants want to do returns and they want to put numbers in boxes. So I went to this class and I went up to the teacher and said, you realize that all the major tax strategies lead to financial services products? I feel like there's a, someone hasn't connected this. There's, why isn't there a financial services firm that's really good at this? Because all the really big strategies 
lead to the business that they are wanting. And right. the, the lady leading the class kind of laughed and said, yeah, um, we know that is a problem, but it, there's no solution to it. And there's just really nothing you can do about it. Well, you tell an entrepreneur <laughs> that there's nothing you can do about it, forget it. Yeah, so yeah. that really is what started me down the journey that I'm on now. I ended up buying that company. Um, it was, uh, now Taxmaster network. One of the days we should get Ed Lyon on. He's, he's the CEO of Taxmaster network. He's an attorney and everything I know came from his head. So, um, but the, between the two of us, but I became really good at it because when you, when you're, you know, whether you've been trained to do something or not, if you, in, you just bury yourself in that business, you end up becoming good at it. And the tax code is available to all of us. CPAs don't have exclusive rights to the internal revenue code. You can Google any part of the internal revenue code and, and find where stuff is. One of my yeah. favorite examples is a 401k. Do you know where you find the 401k in the internal revenue code? Maybe in section 401k. You got it. <laughs> yeah. So most of it, it literally is that the, the why whenever you see 401k and you see the, the uh, parentheses around the K that's because it's in section 401 subsection K. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's under the, the law, the IRA law and IRA, another, you know, cocktail party fun, fun fact <laughs> that, that nobody knows is IRA stands for individual retirement arrangement. Hmm. It's not individual not retirement. account. It can, an, an IRA can be an IRA, an individual retirement account, but the IRA laws, 403, 403Bs, 401Ks, 457s, um, IRAs, there are so many different ways, uh, cash balance plans, which are a big deal for the contracting business. A lot of, a lot of, uh, cash balance plans out there for that, but all that is in that section, um, in the, uh, individual retirement arrangement. So I started just kind of getting in, in, in the business. And then most entrepreneurs kind of understand this, but it, it kind of a, a, a visionary entrepreneur can kind of connect dots that other people can't connect and create business mm-hmm. models that didn't exist before. Um, they're kind of like chefs in a way where they're mixing ingredients to come up with the same dish, but it just tastes a little bit different. It feels a little bit different and it, it, it right. is different, but it's still ingredients anybody can get. And that's what entrepreneurs do. I mean, Amazon is nothing unique. Every part of Amazon, somebody does, but Amazon yeah. is executed on it at a, a level that's pretty staggering. If and there's a whole, it's staggering. They basically built an entire United States Postal Service in the last few years. Right. <laughs> Worked out good for them last year. That, um, that works well. But it, yeah, it works well. Yeah, exactly. It works well, efficient. So it's, uh, I got in, embedded in the industry. And so I wanted to build this financial services firm. I like this, this tax master network with Ed Lyon. Um, I sat down over dinner and said, I feel like there's something here. We should be connecting these. And he says, I've been trying to do that for years. I just didn't have someone that had the right amount of skill set to kind of take us there. So we kind of went down this journey somewhere around 2008, 2009. And we took the company public a a couple years later um, through a a technique that's very popular right now. It's uh, we didn't do a SPAC, but it was similar. It's a reverse merger. So, and now we're kind of, we're climbing. I turned the, the reins over to a, another CEO. And this is, I think, a good lesson for a lot of people is our skill sets, all of us, we all kind of have our own superpower. Um, you need to know your skill sets. You need to know what you're good at, and you shouldn't be doing anything that you're not good at. So you need mm-hmm. to get that off your plate. I mean, even this, this podcast, 
the guys that are doing the interviews are not on the background recording. They're not going to be editing the, the, the data, right? You guys aren't editing right. this. Nope. So you're the talent, you're in front, but someone's got to be doing the other stuff. So I, I realize that I'm a good visionary. I'm good at connecting dots. I'm, I'm really good with numbers and, and concepts, but I'm not good with the keys to being a CEO of a, of a larger company. You know, I got it up to, you know, four or 5 million, you know, we're tracking to do probably 10 now. Um, so it's, we've grown quite a bit, but the CEO that took over, the analogy I use on that is imagine that you're the best player on your high school basketball team. So, you know, you're good because you're the best player and you're good in the region. People know who you are, but then imagine that for the first time, you've never seen this happen before. You see someone like Kobe Bryant play and you're thinking, I'm a good basketball player, but what he does, he's playing the same game with the same rules, but he's doing something that I'm not capable of doing. So <laughs> he's clearly got a skill set in the same game and the same rules. So at some point you got to notice, I can't be Kobe Bryant. I can't play in the same league as Kobe Bryant. I can't even play on the same team as the worst player on that team because I'm just, yeah. I might be good over here. And that's, all of us are like this. So you know, the CEO that starts a company in his garage and takes it public and then runs it is is a very, 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 very rare animal. We see a few yeah. examples like Zuckerberg and Gates, and we think that it's normal. It's not. There's a certain phase yeah. where you need to get out. So I knew I was bumping up against that. And um, I had a guy that I had actually talked to seven years ago and told him that we needed to merge our companies. And he didn't he, which is, this is also interesting on a visionary standpoint. He didn't get it. He's like, I don't know why you're going public and I don't get what you're doing. And besides I just raised venture capital. So both of our firms are overvalued, so we can't merge them. He ended up selling his firm, had to take a two-year non-compete, called me at the beginning of 2019 and said, Hey, remember that conversation we had five years ago about merging our firms? I said, yeah, but you sold your firm. There's nothing to merge. Well, I bought a, another firm before I sold the firm and it's just been sitting there. And why don't we just merge it if you don't mind me taking over and i said no and then we had the meeting where we discussed who the ceo was he was magnanimous and said we should be co-ceos and i said that is a terrible idea <laughs> co-ceos unless the company's big enough and the divisions are highly separate i said that's a terrible idea the ceo's position has to deal with accounting has to deal with legal has to do with hr those are the three biggest parts of a, of, of a CEO's job in a, in a large company and has to kind of tie all the other and push the division forward. And I'm not good at the three things. I don't like employees. They're hard to work with. <laughs> I, expect them, I, you know, I, I thought I was normal and I expected them to be, have my work ethic and they don't. Um, so a lot of people listening right now are shaking their head. Yeah. How come no one has my work ethic? Well, everyone had your work ethic. You know, we'd all be owners, but. They don't. Some people want to be employees and that's okay. Um, so I'm, and I'm not good at the legal stuff. So I'm very happy sitting on this. Imagine getting, you know, me getting recruited to a team and now watching Kobe Bryant play every night and saying, man, this is just a, a, a joy to sit on the sidelines and be able yeah. to watch this. And that's what's happening with Scott Winters. Scott's just, he's better at everything. The stuff, the ideas he comes up with and the stuff that he's doing, I'm like, I don't know why I didn't even think of that. It's so obvious now that you say it, but it wasn't, well, it's especially it's fun if you own part of the team. Bet. Yeah, and I'm still there, and it's it's you know I'm very active. I'm still a, a very large shareholder, and 
Um, my fingerprints are all over the company because, you know, I built it, but we've got someone that's running it that's much better at it. And um, he's taken some things in a different direction that are were slices of genius. I mean, it's just it's so obvious in reverse. That's but really cool. I didn't do it. Really so cool. so keep that's good for the people to hear that as you grow your business, you may not be the CEO forever. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's well, okay. That's, that's actually one of, our main, forever. one of our main purposes is uh, to help companies build a profitable business that can work without the owner. So you're, you're right. We're congruent yeah. on, and that's, on a, that. that's very laudable. Yeah. And, and the good thing about that kind of mindset is it forces you to build systems. So mm-hmm. if, if you're the business, it's not a business. That's simple. <laughs> it's that simple. If you're the primary driver of revenue, it's not a business. If you yeah. die and the business dies, it's not a business. Businesses live beyond people. It, it's so a high you, risk. You have to high sign risk your job. business to live beyond you. It's a high risk job that doesn't often pay that well. To be honest, right. um, <laughs> most business owners, you know, you turn in an hourly wage. Um, it's not that great, but uh, most business owners, it's a sickness. I mean, Scott sold his business for a lot of money. And he said it took about two weeks before his head just started. I, I got, I can't do this. You can't, I can't retire. I just, it's a sickness. You're an entrepreneur. You can't not do one. You sell your business. That's why entrepreneurs constantly are, you know, buying business. You think Mark Cuban needs to be on Shark Tank? He doesn't need to buy any businesses. He's fine. But if that's what you do, that's what you do. So you do. Well, so Good far we have uh, parallel so congruent kind of, philosophies. Of, oh yeah, yeah, it, um, yeah. Everything you've said so far is really consistent with what we've uh, what we believe and promote in the uh, in the podcast. And but but kind of getting to the subject because I know people are interested, and we'll we'll have a lot of listeners as a result of talking about tax planning. And just to throw it out to you, there I've heard yeah. so many things that you've said, but in my world, working with uh, small businesses, tax planning basically boils down to buying stuff, maybe IRAs, maybe a 401k if they're a little bit sophisticated, a vast majority don't have that, but those are kind of the three areas. And from our discussion with my discussion with John in Dallas, the man who uh, introduced it or gave me your name, there are a lot more than that. <laughs> and I'm sure people would like to have their, their uh, knowledge base widened and the, the area of possibilities widened. And can you kind of talk about that? You talk about 70,000 pages in the tax code, but only X, you know what I'm talking about? Your example, how much is in the yeah, tax so code? But how yeah, little- so I'll give you two analogies. Yeah, so I'll give you two analogies. Uh, the first one is kind of a red light, green light analogy. Um, the tax code is about 70,000 pages and it's actually going to be longer because every new president adds, they rarely take away. Um, when Obama's tax plan came out and, and the health Obamacare was a tax plan, um, it was ruled that way by justice Roberts. It's, you know, they, they tried to pass right. it as not, not taxes, but the Supreme court said the reason they can pass it is because it's taxes. It's, so, right. but What's interesting is that every president tax on to the tax plan. They it's it's Frankenstein's monster. So all the mm-hmm. stuff that was there stays and they just add new stuff. 
And so you could circumvent all of Obamacare with old tax stuff. No one even knew that and, and no one was, was reporting it. So that's that's kind of the first thing I like to say. But the, on the red light, green lights is that there's about three or four pages that say you make X, you pay Y. It's that simple. It's, it's a chart. You know, you can go in there, any chart and say, if I make $250,000 a year, the tax rate I'm going to pay is 20, 20, 25, whatever, plus the state tax, depending on the state you're in. Um, that's, that's the red light. You make it, you pay based on that number. The rest of the tax code is all green lights, basically saying, well, if you do this, that will reduce the number on the red light. So if I make $100,000, but I have a mortgage, most of people on the call have mortgages and my mortgage interest is 10,000 a year, we can subtract 10,000 from that 100,000, maybe, you know, it goes on schedule A and there's some things there, but um, that's pretty much tax code 101. It's red lights, you make it, you pay it, green lights, these are all the ways you don't have to pay it. So, and the tax code is a very manipulative. You are being manipulated by the government in order to do certain things that the government wants you to do so that it's good for society. At least they think it's good for society. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put it in the code. The fact that nobody's using that stuff is beyond weird to me. I mean, we know that government is divisive. We know that both sides of the aisle hate each other. But at some point, they came together, they voted in the House, they voted in the Senate, some president said, okay, and it became law, and then it was sent out into the world in the form of the Internal Revenue Code, and nobody's using it. That is just crazy. So that's the first thing people need to understand, is that most of the, the, the tax code is there because the government wants it to be there. And it was very hard. To, I mean, do you have any idea how hard it is to get a law passed in this country? Very, very difficult. Yeah. So if it's hard to pass a law and it is now law, why is the accountant saying it's a red flag? So we'll talk. I'll, I'll just put a pin in this before I go to the next analogy. But, you know, there are four ways to write off a home business. And accountants have been regularly saying that a home business is a red flag. If there's four ways of doing something, how can it possibly be a red flag? If there's by, one by red flag, it, by red flag, you mean it's going to prompt an audit. That's the fear. Right. And we'll talk about that in a second, too. But the second analogy I like using is one of a toll bridge. And this is this really sums up tax planning 101. There's only four ways to do tax planning, shifting, timing, code and product. But when you're making money, think of all the money that you're making coming in on one side of a big chasm chasm that you cannot cross. The only way you can cross it is to pay the toll bridge. And that chasm has a bunch of toll bridges. One of the toll bridges is called capital gains. It's 15%. If some of the toll bridges are regular income, could go up to 40 plus percent. So those are your tolls. All the money comes in on one side, but the stuff that I want to do is on the other side. I want to buy a minivan for my family so I can go to soccer practice. You know, my daughter's in club sports and plays volleyball. How do I, I got to get the money over there. Well, every time I take money from the, the left side of the chasm and move it to the right side of the chasm, I have to pay a toll. So all of tax planning is trying to figure out how not to pay the toll. Is there a way I can spend a dollar before it becomes 75 cents? So if I earn a dollar, I pay the 25, 25 cents toll. Now I have 75 cents and then I go get braces. 
So I'm paying, you know, I, I have to, I have discounted dollars and this is something that's not taught in finance classes. It's not taught by accountants. It's not taught by anything, but we're, when you're building a business and this is taught by our, our mutual friend who's uh, in the value builder program is efficiency of dollars. How do I get the most efficiency use of dollars? If, if, if I can spend a dollar and it counts as a dollar, that's a more efficient use of a dollar than if I pay the 25 cents toll and then I use it for 75 cents. So number one, how do I get stuff onto the left side of the toll bridge uh, so that I can spend a dollar on personal stuff? So can I make the, biz, the, the, the mini man a business expense? Can I pay for the braces through the business so I get to use a full dollar? And the answer is yes to both of those. So now I'm able to spend dollars on the left side with more efficient dollars. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying, number one, shifting, which is how do I get money from a higher tax bracket to a lower tax bracket? You can do that by shifting to a person that's in a lower tax bracket. You can shift it to a business entity that's in a lower tax bracket. So that's the first thing. Timing. We all know timing. IRAs, 401ks, that's timing. We're basically saying we won't pay taxes now. We're going to get in a bargain with the government. The government says that we'll let you put a whole dollar in an investment account. We'll let you invest that whole dollar. We're not going to tax that dollar. It's going to grow tax-free, but at some point we want to get paid. That's RMDs when you turn 72. So that's the, that's the shifting. Uh, code is simple. It's something that's weird. It's in the tax code. Mortgage interest deductions. No one thinks a mortgage interest deduction is a red flag. I don't know why. It's just code. And the code basically says if you have mortgage interest, you put that number in Schedule A. And if you have enough other deductions, Schedule A, if Schedule A supersedes the standard deductions, then you have additional deductions. And now the standard deductions are pretty high, but we expect that to get sliced because that's what the current administration has promised. So that's that's the that's code. You're looking at codes. There's a there's a part in the tax code that says you can write off a swimming pool. You can write off the maintenance of a swimming pool as an, an on-site health facility. Crazy as it is, it's there. So it's not a big one. So a lot of your your uh, listeners are probably not a uh, it's not a good fit for them. But it's it's a simple code. There's another part of the code that says you can rent your house to yourself 14 days a year. Why 14? I don't know, but it's in the code. And it's 14. You can't do it for 15. You can do it for 14, 13, 12, 11. But you can't do it for 15. You can only do it for 14. It's part of the code. So the question is, is what's in there that we're not using? And then the final thing is product. The reason I added the product to the list, because product really is one of the three. I mean, a 401k is a product and a tax code. And it's a shifting strategy. So why make product separate? And the reason for it is, is because product does have special protections. If the Roth IRA, if, if, if the Biden administration says, you know, we think only rich people have the Roth IRA. Therefore, anybody that has set up a Roth IRA, we've changed our mind. If you make over a certain amount of money, when you take money out of a Roth IRA, we're going to make it taxable for those people. That's all they're doing is changing the code. They're not, there's no Roth IRA lobby that's going to rise up and say, no, we don't want the Roth IRA to be decoded because it's just tax code. There's no lobby behind a tax code. Now let's take that same analogy of a Roth IRA and apply it to insurance. If I buy $100,000 life insurance and I die, that $100,000 goes to my spouse tax-free, goes to anybody tax-free. Whoever gets the benefit from that death benefit is tax-free. Let's say, in the same analogy, the Biden administration says, 
We think that only rich, only poor people can get proceeds from life insurance tax-free. But if you have over a certain net worth, we're going to tax proceeds from life insurance. Well, is there a lobby that might rise up to prevent that from happening? Um, yeah, the insurance lobby. And those tax benefits that are tax to insurance have been there for probably a hundred years. So some of this stuff is, is really, really old. And there's just, and the insurance industry has more money than the banking industry. And we know the government's willing to bank, bail out banks. They did that in 2008. So the insurance, they're just not going to take them on. So there are some protections and you can build some tax strategies around some of these insurance products. Um, some of these products were abused in the past. In the past, I could put a million dollars into a life insurance product that had a $1 death benefit. But because I had the wrapper, now that whole million dollars has moved out of a taxable account. It's now in an, in an account that no longer gets taxed. And when I die, that million dollars goes to my heirs because I paid for $1 in life insurance. Well, the government, and this is where the government probably got it right, is they said, well, that's not what life insurance is for. You're not using it correctly. So they wrote rules, which are called neck rules, modified endowment contract rules, to prevent you from buying a $1 life insurance and putting a million dollars in. Now you have to have, there's rules that, and the mech rules are so draconian that if your life insurance policy becomes a mech, the proceeds are taxed, the income is taxed, the returns are taxed. It's just awful. So you don't want that. So a lot of software has been built to prevent people from accidentally mecking out their contracts. So the, the rules are there to guide us into what we can and cannot do. There's no reason to commit fraud because there's 70,000 pages of good stuff. I mean, there's so many great write-offs. I can't believe um, it, it's, it, the, it's more time and energy to commit fraud than it is to just follow the laws. There's lots of good stuff in there. And the government wants the money in the hands of the populace. It, you, you won't hear this in in a lot of the, <laughs> the, the, the news stories because they're always fighting. But the reality is, is that um, even leftist governments put a, put stuff on the tax code that's good for the entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur is what the, is the economic engine of the country. And it always has been, it always will be. It makes um, the United States is the biggest, baddest economic power because we attracted the original entrepreneur, the pilgrim. And they, they basically said, we don't like it here. We want to start something somewhere else. That's what entrepreneurs do. They find a problem and they yeah. find what's the best way to solve that problem. Well, in this case, it was, possibly die and go to a different a different part of the world. Um, but that's what happened. The United States became this attractant to entrepreneurs. Um, and then we bred. So we are the entrepreneur powerhouse. We are the entrepreneur engine of the world. It's because it's how we started and it's it's in our DNA. So that's kind of the, the, the 101 of tax planning. It comes in on the left. You want to get it to the right. Can we spend it on the left? Can we save it on the left? How do we, how do we use our money on the left side of the toll bridge before we pay a toll. And that's tax planning. That's everything I'm going to tell you is going to fall into the four strategies and it's going to be designed to either lower the tax. So how do I make, instead of paying regular income taxes, I pay capital gains. That's still a, a tax benefit. You know, paying 40% tax versus 15, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, even with Biden raising it, capital gains has been lower than regular income tax since... I've been in business and that's before it's around the eighties. So, um, it didn't used to be that way. Uh, I think it used to be the same. They kind of separated it, but they separated it because they wanted more capital 
put into the marketplace. So they tax it yeah. lower because they want more of it. And if you want more of something, you tax it less. If you want less of something, you tax it more. Simple. Hmm. So that's kind of the the 101 framework of everything I'll yeah. tell you about from here. So this brings up a question for um, a lot of, you know, different uh, structures that people set up for their LLC, you know, how they uh, code their business, if it's an S corp or if it's a sole proprietorship or, uh, you know, all the different ways that you can code yourself with taxes. How do you recommend business owners, small business owners set themselves up? Um, what are the benefits? What do you usually tell people? So this is a fascinating problem I ran into early. I asked dozens of accountants, why is everyone setting up an LLC these days? You know, how come no one's setting up C-Corps anymore and S-Corps? And everyone's doing LLCs. No one actually had an answer, which hmm. fascinates me. I figured it out when I saw the LLC form. With an LLC, you can set up an LLC and not choose how it's taxed. So that's a pretty big distinction. If I'm in a, if I'm in a conference full of people, I'll say, okay, show of hands, who here has an LLC? Most people will raise their hands. All right, show of hands, who files their tax return as an LLC? most people will raise their hands. They're not filing their tax return as an LLC. An LLC is a legal entity. You can't file as a legal entity. You have to file as a certain thing. So your LLC defaults to a sole proprietor. The sole proprietor is five times more likely to be audited. Remember the audit question? A sole proprietor is five times more likely to be audited. If you make over $100,000 a year, which most contractors do, um, I mean, even if you're a roofer, the materials on like three or four houses is over a hundred thousand. <laughs> so you're, you're going to have right. revenue over a hundred thousand. So if you're making over a hundred thousand dollars a year gross, your tax, your likelihood of being audited as a sole proprietor is five times higher than if you were to be uh, an S corp. So your LLC can be a disregarded entity. We won't spend time on that today. This is too complicated, but there's disregarded entity, sole proprietor. That's the default position, the highest tax, the highest audit rate. That's default. So if they don't check any boxes, your LLC is a sole proprietor. If you have a Schedule C, so go to your business tax return or your personal tax return. If there's a Schedule C, you're a sole proprietor. Not good. So you got you got to change that. Change that. The next the next is this an S corp. Is it not good because only because of the likelihood to be audited? There's other reasons why, right? Yeah, it exposes. It's basically you're putting everything you're doing on. You're you're exposing it. So you can kind of hide stuff and I'm not hiding stuff in terms of doing stuff illegal, but it, there's stuff that, that just, they're, they're not going to bat an eye at. If you, if you tell your, if you say your mom, your, your wife's an assistant and the minivan is 50% tax deductible in a schedule C, they're going to look at that and say 50%. You're telling me your wife drives around 50% of the time doing stuff for you. And it's, it just, but if you lease the minivan and you pay for it out of business, it just, it doesn't get picked up because people lease cars out of businesses all the time. So businesses gotcha. just are expected to do things that the personal people personally don't do. I've kind of joked that I think that the reason the audit is so high on schedule C and sole proprietors is because the IRS knows it's dumb to do that. And if you're dumb enough to, to have that, then <laughs> you're, you're probably a good target. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but you got to get out of that. So this S corp is separate and, and you really, and this is back to some of the stuff we talked real early. It's about discipline. If you're going to start a business, be a business, have a separate checking account. I mean, we really shouldn't have to tell someone that's a business to have a separate checking account for the business, but 
I've seen surprised. Well, no, I just do it all on my personal. Wait, what? No, you know, it's really easy to move money around <laughs> these days. You just log in and you can move it around, but don't know. So S Corp is an active than C Corp. So if you're big enough, you'll probably want to see and an S. Because the hmm. C Corp has lots of strategies you can use that you can't do in S. And S has lots of strategies you can use that you can't use in C. So if you're big enough and, and you can wrap your head around it or you do have a good um, tax person, which is probably highly unlikely, but an S and a C allows you to – because Democrats tend to help C Corps. And this is yeah. generalization, so it's not always true, but it's, it's pretty true. Democrats tend to help C-Corps. Republicans tend to help S-Corps. So if you have both, do you really care about the elections? I mean, you can care for other reasons, but if the Democrats pass all kinds of law that benefits C's, you just move more of your activity to C. If the yeah. a Republican gets elected in 2024 and they pass lots of S stuff, you just move your money back. So you don't really change your business entities. You don't change your structure. You just change the flow a little bit to control. And that's really the key to good tax planning. Tax planning is a filter. You're trying to filter as much of the dollars to you as possible and get the number down um, as low as possible. So tax planning actually reduces your audit risk because think of the IRS as a collection agency. Would they rather collect from a million dollar Schedule C company or would they rather collect from a hundred thousand dollar S Corp? Well, they'd rather go after the million dollars because it seems like there's more money. Well, if you're doing an S-Corp and you're chipping away at your, your dollars and those dollars transfer to your, your personal return at a much smaller number, you know, if I'm paying for braces in my business, which you can do, if I'm paying for my kids' club soccer league uh, out of my business, which I can show you how to do that um, legally, morally, and ethically, um, then you're reducing your taxable income, which means you're not as much of a target because you're not making as much. Cash flow is the same. Your lifestyle is the same. And in fact, your lifestyle might go up a little bit because your dollars are more efficient. And that's what tax planning is all about. And the fact that the accounting industry hasn't grabbed onto this, I'll, I'll be, like I said, I'll die trying to solve this problem. It's a really weird, there's 600,000 yeah. CPAs and they're not solving the problem everybody wants solved. The, um, just, yeah. just to recap a little bit, thinking of my audience or our audience driving around C-Corp, S-Corp, uh, LLC. Yep. The LLC has four ways to be taxed. Am I correct? What are those four ways? I mean, there yeah, there's only four ways to be taxed in anything. Okay, but there's if you're a C-Corp, entity, you don't... Which isn't, you don't even have to file on that one. Well, yeah, I just... Um, so, if so you, you can be elected... The LLC is, is, is structured. I think we've got a little bit of a delay, so... Yeah. Just go ahead, John. Go ahead and run. Yeah, so the, the, the LLC is, is, is legal structure. The way you file is, so you can set up a C-Corp or you can set up an LLC that files as a C-Corp. I didn't make that clear, so that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So an LLC can be, is filing as something. So an LLC is a business entity that's filing as something. The default position is the highest cost, which is a sole proprietor. So your LLC can be some, give you some level of protection because of the name, Limited Liability Corporation. So as, a, as an LLC that's a sole proprietor, it's still better than not being an LLC that's a sole proprietor. So there's still some benefit there. But the reason I believe that accountants set up LLCs is because the form has a bunch of boxes on it. And you set the LLC up and you don't have to check any boxes when you send it in. 
you can change your LLC from a sole proprietor to an S corp by just sending in a form. It's, it's remarkably easy. So if you're, if you're an LLC and you're filing as a sole proprietor, my first piece of advice would be to change it to an S. And if your accountant pushes back and says, well, why would you want to do that? Fire them. <laughs> yeah. There, there's you really know, no I, reason why they should push back. on. I can, I can just think of some of the people driving around and going C corps, S corps, LLCs with sole proprietorships or partnerships or filing as an S and filing as a C. I think it freaks a lot of people out. Well, I don't think, I know it does. Um, how do they, well, and it's, I mean, is, it's are they like going to talk business. to you to help those decisions? Because I, I just know, I, I know it cause I've had so many clients. It just freaks them out. You know, there, there are other things, you know, C corps, you right. know, how many would, members you can have and you have to pay taxes twice and all that kind of stuff. It just freaks them out. And I'm trying to think, how can they get their hands? Right. It? So, yeah. So you just need somebody that knows and then, and then start learning it. I mean, as a business owner, you're going to have to learn things that are outside of your core competency. And this goes back to my okay. conversation as to why I let go of the reins. If you hate HR, if you're going to build a business, you're going to have to get good at HR. There's just no getting around it. And you're going to know you're going to know stuff about HR law that you never wanted to know. Uh, and this is something that's similar to that. How do you structure your business? How do you how do you control the flow of the money? And you're going to need someone that can help you with that. But an S corp is typically the best first start. Don't do a C corp until you're you're getting up there in income. I would say, um, I would say probably if you're paying a hundred thousand dollars a year in taxes, not income, but that's what you're actually paying out in taxes, then you might want to start looking at a C-Corp. There is double taxation, meaning that um, the C-Corp is taxed at the corporate tax rates. And then when you take money out, it's taxes, income tax as well. If you make money from an S-Corp, it can be taxed as a dividend. So one of the first lessons we teach our clients is to be a little bit schizophrenic. Think of yourself, and, and I think uh, the Value Builder program teaches this, but you're a business owner and an employee. If you just started the business, you don't have to become an employee yet. All the money you make is probably going to be dividends um, because you don't really, you can't really pay yourself a salary because you got started. But at some point, an accountant's going to say, if you're working in the business, you're an employee of the business, you need to pay yourself a salary. There are companies like RC Reports that will help you determine that. So let me give you a, a, a flip side example of how bad this can be. If I'm making a half a million dollars a year because I'm paying myself a salary because I'm a really good surgeon. So, and I had, this is an exact case. So I talked to a surgeon. I said, look, I, I appreciate that you, you think you're worth a half a million dollar salary, but if you were to hire someone to do your job, would you pay him a half a million dollars? Oh, heck no. I'm only paying myself a half a million dollar salary because I'm the owner. I said, so if I were to hire someone that does what you do, just to be an employee, what would you pay him? Oh, I don't know, 120, 150. Then that's what you should be paying yourself. Because if you pay yourself 120, 150 salary and pay yourself the 350 as dividends, in his case, he was almost at the 50% tax bracket. So, and this was before the taxes went up. So he's basically the difference between 15% and 50%. extra taxes he's paying because he's paying himself as an employee instead of as a business owner. As a business owner, you make money twice. You make money as an employee of the business and you make money as an owner of the business where you earn dividends, capital gains, you sell it, you get a, you get a benefit from that. So you have to think a little bit schizophrenically. You are an employee of your own business, but don't pay yourself more 
then the standard rate would be to hire an employee to do a similar job. Now, so, would you pay yourself great... less or would that be a red flag? No, I would pay yourself less. No, like, sorry, would you pay yourself less than you would pay a normal employee? So let's just say that you're starting out as a contractor. You know, you're getting your first jobs. Um, let's say that you're trying to pay yourself 70 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, would, and somebody that's going to be in your project manager role, whatever that is, um, you would pay them around 70000 Would you pay yourself maybe thirty-five, and then give thirty-five in dividends? Or would you know you probably need to keep it at 70 because that's what a project manager might make? Yeah, right. So there is a company and it's called RC Reports. So in RC stands for real compensation. So you can, okay. most accountants will have a, a contract with them. It's not expensive. What we do is we, you actually get sent a link. You're asked a series of questions based on your behaviors and how you spend your time. And it assigns it. That is audit proof. They've never been audited and lost an audit because it's basically saying this is what this job is worth. If you don't want to spend the money, go to salary.com. Salary.com and type in what you want. You'll get a range. You can go on the lower part. If you're in Oklahoma, you're probably not in the New York salary range. You're probably in the Oklahoma. So you're on the the left side of the bell curve. So you still can, there is some fudge factor in there, but you don't want to say, well, a normal person in my position would make 150. I'm not going to make anything. I'm just going to pay everything in dividends to save money. That is where you end up getting in trouble because you'll get audited. And the first question they'll ask you is, do you work in the business? Well, yeah, but I'm the owner. Yeah, but you work in it. So you're an employee as well. If, if, if you stop working, would you have to hire someone to do that thing? And if the answer is yes, then you're an employee. Gotcha. That's a, uh, that's a great point because I, I know there's people that are doing that. They're taking their entire salary, quote unquote, as dividends. And uh, obviously that's that's a red flag. Um, right. And the beginning years, it's not. So if I start a company today, I'm not going to pay myself an $80,000 or $90,000. i am not going to pay myself any. So I don't know if I'm going to even make money. So the first right. few years, you can kind of get away with it because there's there's a there's a, there's a a time lag in t- from a time when you start a business till you you – you know, right now you're an employee that's making nothing until the, the business generates money. But a good accountant will help you kind of gauge, okay, it's been a couple of years. You've been, your your income is pretty consistent. So let's do, figure out what your salary is, pay that, and then anything above that will. And the salary you know, is you know, you pretty uh, low, 40, 50, $60,000 a year. There are other reasons that you might have kind of touched on too. But uh, one of them is if you don't pay yourself a salary and you look at your profit and loss, you're kidding yourself. Uh, because you're basically working for free as far as that your income is, statement is concerned. And and the other thing is, if you want to go to the bank and get a loan or PPP and EIDL, these things that recently came, you've been taking it all as dividends and you're showing no income. Go try to get a mortgage on your house uh, and show no income. A lot more complicated. <laughs> yeah. So there are... There, there, and this has actually stumbled into something we kind of talked about before we, we started recording is that ta- good tax planning should never violate good financial planning. So if your accountant says, go buy a you know $100,000 new truck because you can write the $100,000 off this year, you may, you may get a loan for it and pay over the next five years, but because it's over a certain weight, you get a huge deduction, go do that. Well, what I would say as a financial planner, I'd take off my tax planning hat and say, yeah, you can write off $100,000. Um, 
Um, and we kind of joked about this before we started recording. There's, there's four ways to never pay taxes. Number one, make no money. Number two, <laughs> just don't pay them, you know, commit fraud. That, that's another way. Uh, number three is lose money every year. And number four, give it all away. That's how you not pay any taxes ever. Those are the four ways. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about we're trying to build right. a viable business and, and follow the laws so that we can continue building the viable business. So we want to make sure that the things that we, the structures that we set up help with that. And we don't want to violate good financial principles. So I would say on the car example, instead of buying a hundred thousand one, can you get one used for 25,000? You still get the deduction on the 25,000. If it's used, I think you don't actually, you don't, but here's the question. If your tax bracket's 50 and most people listening aren't, aren't at 50. So let's just use 50. If I buy a hundred thousand dollar car and I get a 50% tax write off and I buy a $25,000 car and get a better tax and get no tax write right off. What's better for me? $25,000. Yeah. It's back to efficiencies of dollars. We're not trying to only get tax write-offs at all other costs because that's what people tend to think. Well, it's the end of the year. I'll just buy it because it's a tax write-off. Well, if it's a dumb buy at the end of the year, if I buy a $50,000 mahogany desk because, Hey, it's a desk. It's going to be in my office. It's an antique. I like it. It's a tax write-off. If I can afford it, great. Use it as a tax write-off. But if I can't afford it, I can buy, you know, a, a desk that I have to assemble for a couple hundred bucks at Sam's Club. So there is, you still have to be a business owner. You still have to manage the money. And this is where I think that that value builder program is, is appropriate because it, it teaches people how to build value into their business by managing the bottom line, by not doing dumb things. But you want to layer in this tax piece because you can actually increase your profit margin and make your business more profitable by managing the taxes, which makes it then more valuable as well. Yeah. And by so, the way, when you sell it, you can sell it tax-free. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to hear some stories of um, some business owners that you've worked with and what they were doing. I know you just talked about the surgeon, but maybe some business owners that were really just giving themselves the worst possible uh situation that you guys were able to come in, turn things around and really just give them sound financial and tax planning advice that saved them a lot of money and, and help them grow their business. So I'll use a roofer. Um, we have uh, several roofers. Roofers are a weird business because they're, they're gross, their gross is really high, but it doesn't mean they're yeah. making a lot because they have a lot of, of goods sold. So a million dollar roofer is not the same as a, a million dollar, you know, widget maker or million dollar, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A, go back to Chick-fil-A example, because they're selling stuff for five bucks <laughs> and to get to a million dollars is a kind of a big deal, but it'd be a million dollars of roofer is not that big of a deal because of gossip is sold. So 16% this guy came volume. in, the first thing we did is we set up. Yeah. So it's just, it's very, it's very, it's, it's thin compared to their cost of goods sold. So, uh, he came in, we, his wife was helping him in the business. He, he actually had here. I'll mix I'll mix a couple of cases. We had a, a company come in. Um, they were both doctors. They were Asian. So Asians are, are better at family kind of units than us white folks. Um, hey, you can't say there's that. Certain, there's certain, um, <laughs> I can because it's true. But, Even if it's um, true. You the Asians would say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I can't say it anymore, but uh, I'm talking to business owners. So we, right. we live in the real world, not in this faux world that people want. 
So <laughs> typically certain, certain um, ethnic groups are more familiar in terms of uh, the family unit and, and having mom and dad live with them. And mom was helping in the business and she actually came from a different country late in life after 60s. And most people don't know this, but we had um, socialized health care long before Obamacare. It was called Medicare and it happened at 65. But if you didn't pay in, you don't get it. And you can't buy health insurance. It's a really interesting problem. You can't get health insurance because the program is all government. And if you didn't pay in, you can't get the government plan. So what we did is we said, well, is she doing any work? Yeah. Are you helping her with expenses? Yeah. Well, put her on the payroll. Let's go back to the analogy. They're making a dollar. They're losing half of that money because they're making a lot of money. And then they're giving it to their mom to help her. Laudable not efficient. If we put mom on the payroll, we're taking those dollars and sending it to someone who has zero tax rate. And now the standard deduction is around 12 grand. So you can pay mom a thousand dollars a month. She'll file a tax return and have no taxes. The cost of the business is FICA and the match on the salary. So maybe 10% all said and done roughly versus 50%. Well, that's an easy decision. And now mom's on the payroll and mom is getting W-2s. In a couple of years, she was eligible for Social Security. So she, oh, this was more, this is, this is an example far beyond tax planning. We ended up getting something that she couldn't even get because we saved them money. They ended up getting more savings because now the insurance costs went down. So that's you know, one example. Another example would be to put... Go ahead. Well, you might be going there, but it's almost the same thing I heard either through John or somebody that you talked about putting your kids on the payroll. Maybe that's where you're going. Yep. So that's the next thing. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So kids and health insurance. So if you have a lot of, yeah, if you have a lot of employees, you don't want to do a couple of these, but if it's you, if you're a closely held business and most of your employees may be independent contractors or um, whatnot, then this is a great strategy is you put the kids on the payroll They're The rules test for the IRS uh, for payroll is, is actually not if they do the work. The IRS does not follow anybody around to see if they're doing the work. They don't care if you're a terrible employee and hire someone that does nothing. That's your problem, as long as they get their cut. So um, we're not saying they should do nothing, but the idea is, is that the contract law and IRS code says that an employee is someone that you have a, an agreement with. Here's your job description. Someone that you're paying into their checking account, not your checking account, and someone that you're doing the withholding for. So if you're checking those three boxes, they're employees. So if I set my seven-year-old up on, hey, you're going to empty the trash, you're going to do some moderate filing, now you can have kids do tech stuff that the old people can't do. So, hey, can you set up a TikTok account for me? Because I think, you know, TikTok's going to be huge in the roofing business. I don't know. <laughs> but you, I mean, you could probably do that. So you give them some roles, and then you pay them, you know, 500 bucks a month, $6,000 a year. Well, if they file a tax return with a standard deduction of 12, no taxes. It even gets better than that. If I pay your kid, I still have to withhold FICA tax. But if I pay my tag kid, and I'm telling you right now, I'm about ready to give you a strategy that every CPA is going to tell you is a red flag. But think about this as I tell you the law, how this could possibly be a red flag. If I pay your kid and I pay that FICA tax, that's legit. If I pay my kid, the FICA tax is waived. That's in the tax law. You pay your own kids. You don't have to pay in FICA. So why would paying my kids be a red flag if there's something explicitly in the law that says, if you pay your kid, you don't have to pay this extra 2.8% tax. It's, it's nutty. It gets better. Mm. 
if I'm a business owner, a lot of business owners want to help their kids get a leg up. So they start, start 529 plans. I just say, now, if your financial advisor is recommending you as a business owner, set up a 529 plan for college savings, fire your financial advisor. Um, no financial advisor knows this, but I'm going to tell you it anyways, because they don't know this is if you're paying your kid $6,000 a year, you can put money into a Roth IRA. The rule in a Roth IRA is you can put 100% of your income up to the, the limit on earned income. So I can't just put 5,000 in a Roth for my kid. They have to, I have, they have to have 5,000 in earned income in order to put it in a Roth. So follow me here. It's harder. It's harder because I don't have really a whiteboard. <laughs> but um, the, you put, you pay your kid $5,000 and then you put 5,000 to a Roth IRA for your kid. A Roth IRA can be used for three reasons. Most people don't know this either. IRA, retirement, right? So it can be used for retirement, which is late for a kid. It's a little early for that. Number two, they can use it for their first time home purchase, which is you're helping your kid out now. And number three, college. You can use your Roth IRA for college. So money goes into the, the, the Roth IRA tax-free because you paid them and truly tax-free because there's no even FICA tax. It grows tax-free and it comes out tax-free. Is that better than 529? Way better. Way better. And it reduces your taxable income to the business. And I had four kids, four kids, you know, that that's $20,000 a year I was socking away. Um, that is now no longer on my tax return. So that is a simple thing that nobody does. It's all code. So, and we're mixing it. I kind of, it's funny because one of the, the, the keys to being successful in this is the ability to mix different tax strategies legally, morally, and ethically, which means you got to have to have a creative brain. But if I told you to Google creative accountant, I don't think you'd get the right response from Google. You know, you get a pizza parlor that says, hey, we will launder your money for you. You don't, you, don't want, you don't want someone laundering your money. You don't want someone that creative. But you do want someone that sees the tax code as notes or as colors. You know, there's only three primary colors, but look around you. There's a lot more than three colors. Yeah. Um, let's go so, back to that roofer example. Uh, I know you went to the doctors, uh, to the Asian family, but let's let's go back to the roofer. You said they're, you know, high gross, high cogs as well. So um, what would you guys do there? So we would, we would set the, fa the family up. <coughs> Another thing is if you don't use the Roth IRAs, I mean, club sports are expensive. They, a lot of people got a year off from that, but they're expensive. So if you're spending a lot of money on clubs, club sports, if you put your, the money into your kid's checking account, you can pay for the club sports out of that. So you're still, mm. you're reducing your income. Um, you're still reducing your income. So that's good. The other thing is medical expense reimbursement plans. There's a lot of parts in the code that allow you to do this. Um, section 125, section 105, there's different ways of doing it. There's a new plan that came out post Obama um, called the QSERA, where you can pay all your employees, say 500 bucks a month, and they can buy their own health insurance. So now I'm giving them an increase in compensation, but I don't have the seven and a half percent match. I don't have to pay the FICA. So it actually lowers my cost and the and my employee gets a benefit and I don't have to shop for health insurance. So I can pay them a, a flat amount, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, whatever your number is, there are caps. You can pay them a flat amount and you don't have to shop for health insurance every year and you're giving them a health benefit without having to them, they can buy the health insurance and they do can they, buy it on the- Do they pay their taxes too. on that? No, because as long as you spend it on health insurance, because if I bought your, wow. if I had a health insurance program in my business, you're not taxed on that. It, it's pre-tax. Pre so this QSERA 
you had to follow some rules, but that was set up to do that. And it, and it was to stabilize the number. So that's for businesses that are growing. The last thing you want to do is every year shop for health insurance, because that's what you're going to have to do. But this way you kind of eliminate that. The other thing you can do is medical expense reimbursement plans are basically uh, a contract you're writing with the company that says we as a company will pay for all medical expenses. So if you go to the dentist, send us the bill and we'll cut the check. Now, if you have 10 employees, that's probably not something you're going to do. But if you're a closely held business, you sign a contract with yourself saying, I'm going to pay for all the medical expenses. My wife goes to the dentist. We get a $4,000 bill from the dentist and I pay it from the business. And now it's a tax deduction with a dollar mm. versus passing over the toll bridge, then paying. So now I'm paying for a $4,000 dentist with $4,000 instead of $2,000 or $3,000 or even $3,500. So glasses, dental, orthodontics, massages, that should get people's attention. You can write off a massage. Um, there's a pretty extensive list of all the things that are considered medical and some of them you wouldn't even consider medical. If you're, um, if you're living in Oklahoma and you don't have an air conditioner and your doctor says, if you don't get an air conditioner, you're going to get heat stroke and die. If he writes it on a, a prescription pad, you can write the air conditioner off as a medical expense. <laughs> so there's, there's that stuff's in the tax code. So it's, it's crazy stuff, but it's there. And the fact that accountants don't use it is sore. It bothers me, but let's be honest here. The accountants, these are smart people. They're not dumb people. I mean, I couldn't get a CPA designation. Most of the people listening probably couldn't because it's ridiculous. Um, but the CPA designation is certified public. What's the A stand for? Accountant. What does an accountant do? They're a numbers historian. So they record what you've did the best way you can. Everything I'm talking about is changing what gets recorded. Do this differently so that when mm -hmm. we do record it, the numbers are lower. And that's there's a big gap there. The type of person that's attracted to an industry that is based on double ledger accounting that was invented in the 1600s and based on tax code that changes not that often, there's a comfort in a, in a profession that's that old and that consistent. Gap rules are old. Uh, general accounting practices are old. The double ledger accounting is old. The tax code, it changes, but it doesn't change enough to make it that much more complicated. And the tax forms and all the, the calculations are done by software now. So you, they just have to enter it in and the software outputs all the tax returns. So if you saw me do your tax return, you'd be mad at your accountant because it doesn't take. <laughs> if the accountant's doing your books correctly, the tax return's already done with the exception of a couple things like a charity and um, mortgage interest. But good books means your taxes are done. So um, that's, it, it's a frustrating thing for people, but it's the stark reality that 650,000 accountants are not taught to do tax planning. There aren't questions on the CPA exam about tax planning. Um, in fact, I'll throw this out there. If you go to your yourwhyoutaxblueprint.com, there's a book there. You can just put your name in with your email and it'll, it'll send your book. We won't call you, but it'll just email you a, a digital book called The Myths of, Ta it's a myths book. Um, it's called, let me see, I have it open. I, I wrote it a long time ago. Bust the 10 tax myths sabotaging your small business growth. There are 10, there's actually 11 um, tax myths and we've, we're kind of covering each one of them 
cursory, but it's listed in there. So you can actually take the book, print it, take it to your accountant and say, I want to do this. Um, yeah. Medicare, the medical laws, the, the four ways of writing off a home office. I read an article that said, hey, if you got pushed into your office during COVID, that doesn't mean you can write it off. What? Why not? Did that drives me nuts. I don't understand why. Someone, yeah, why are they giving that? If you're working out of your home, in fact, there is actually a court case, another doctor. Um, they're willing, I guess, to, to fight with the IRS. He has a, an office. So he wrote that off. That's, a, that's an office. He has a home office and he wrote that off. He wanted to write off an office that he has in a lake house because he works in his lake house often. And he has a separate office there. And the IRS disallowed it. And they went to court and the IRS lost. But you can actually write off three offices, a lake house oh, office. So how, something you aspire to get a lake house so you can write part <laughs> of that off. Um, so, yeah. but that's, it's interesting that this stuff is in there and the accountant's job is not to figure that out for you. They're not tax planners. The tax yeah. master network, which we formulated to teach CPAs how to be a better value to the clients, you know, and this is a good lesson for your, your clients as well is a CPA industry is in trouble. Um, if, if all they do is put numbers in boxes, can an artificial intelligence engine do that? And the answer yeah, is unquestionably that. yes. The question yeah. is, is not yeah, it's when, in fact, there's a great website called, um, will is, I think it's will robots replace your job.com or something like that. If you Google it, you'll probably find it. You type in accountant and it's like 99% robots will replace their job. But accountants yeah. think they're so special because they have these designations that, they're unassailable by the technology industry. So every time an accountant tells me that, John, you don't understand accounting, it's just too complex. First of all, I understand it better than you possibly can imagine. I had an accounting business. We built one to prove that we could do it. We built a million dollar accounting business in two years without a single CPA on staff and all of our clients paid monthly. All things that CPA should be doing and none of them do. So we built it and we proved it can be done. The CPA designation means only something to the CPA industry. So you can build all these other pieces without that. You need to be a CPA to represent between the IRS. So there are some advantages to having a CPA. But the idea is, is that you can build a different business model in the same business model. And if you're in a business model that computers can take away, you need to figure out how to provide value. If there's, and this happens to every business. If you follow Strategic Coach or Dan Sullivan or any kind of business consulting business, what happens is, is that a business with a high profit margin will come under fire because if something has a high profit margin, a lot of people will rush into that because they want a piece of that profit margin. And it's easy to cut that profit margin. If profit margin is 50% and I cut it to 40, I'm still discounting what you're charging and I'm still making a big profit margin. So profit margins, companies rush in, squeeze the profit margin, make it into a commodity of business. And then, and then the commodity business is a war for whoever's the cheapest. So if you're an accountant or your accountant is competing with H&R Block or Jackson Hewitt, they're, they're in trouble. Um, so, and so they, we're teaching them value. How do you provide value? Well, we go to those, back to those two things. We, people want to lower their income taxes. So start teaching that. We have a software program that we make available for a hundred bucks a month to CPAs that they can do all the tax planning they want for a hundred dollars a month. It's crazy. So there's no excuse for CPAs not to be tax planning effectively. Yeah. Um, and then the, and then the numbers that help you run your business, we haven't built that piece out, but there are some good companies. Value Builder, I think is the best. In fact, we were actually going to partner with them. 
um, a few years ago, but we, you know, businesses, you get distracted. So it just wasn't something we were going to do. But if you want to, to solve those two problems, lower your personal income taxes and numbers that help you run your business. I know the value builder program does, and there's other programs out there um, that, because you really want data that helps you know if you're making a mistake. And I ask accountants this all the time. I say, if I make a terrible mistake in my business, when does it show up on the profit and loss and balance sheet? Because that's what they all love. Banks love it. <laughs> the accountant loves the P&L and balance sheet. I said, so if I make a bad decision, when does it show up? And the answer is generally not nah, three to six months. And my response to that is that is unacceptable. If I make a bad decision, I need to know quickly so that if it's bad, I can pivot and I can solve it and I can fix it. Six months, mm -hmm. I may be gone. So right. you need a dashboard and you need to be able to see what your business is doing and seeing the flow of the money so that you can make better decisions. If I, if I, want to buy a widget making machine, there's got to be someone that can crunch the numbers and say, what's your break even? How many widgets are you going to have to make to make the widget making machine worth the actual purchase? Same thing with the, the $100,000 truck example. Yeah, you get a tax deduction, but is that $100,000 going to help you grow your business? Any more than a $25,000 used truck would help you grow your business? Then business decisions first, good finance second, tax planning third. But tax planning can inform those other two. Yeah, absolutely. I have to, Man, uh, so I just great. can't so, sit here in silence and not bring it up, but I know a guy who wrote a book uh, on exactly that subject. It's how to use your financial uh, or how to use bookkeeping information to make better decisions and more money. And when this is over with, I'm going to get your mailing address and send you one. Be thrilled to hear right, you. Well, I may book. have it. The profit problem. Yeah. They say I, mean, I make money. I, I've read a lot in accounting. Well, yeah, there's a lot of good programs out there. I forget the guy's name. Greg Crabtree yeah. is his name. He's good, too. He has a um, – is that it? Is that the one you're talking about? No. no I'm talking <laughs> no, about talking the about his problem. Book. They say I okay. make money. Why don't I have any? And, and I'm the author. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Even in future decisions. Yeah. And if you, and this is why you shouldn't really start a C corp because C corps use different rules. They use what's called accrual counting, and that you want to mess with an entrepreneur's head, tell them that hey, you know that one hundred thousand checks that you just wrote that got written to you, you can't count all that. The IRS will count it for tax purposes, but you can't count it for revenue purposes. Why? Well, because it's a two-year contract, so we have to spend the hundred thousand dollars over two years. Just so just the money to be, in your account. Just to be clear, what count. you're talking about is the IRS. Paying taxes on the accrual basis, um, rather than paying taxes on the cash basis, I I very much in, insist right. that my clients keep books on the accrual basis so they know what's going on. They know about the receivables, their payables. You don't pay taxes on that because you're paying taxes on money you yeah. don't have. But that's a detail, and that's actually not bad advice. I don't know a lot of people that that recommend that, but that's actually pretty good because accrual kind of forces a discipline. Because if you get a $100,000 check, there's lots of cost of goods sold that are going to happen over a period of time. And if you're not right. tracking that, that really goes to your problem with, and this goes to the problem with the dashboard too. I got 100000 in my account, but there's all this work that needs to be done. So we need to account for that as well. And that needs to be in a dashboard and that needs to be seen. But most accountants aren't good at it. They're good at filing. And there's a big difference between tax planning and tax filing. It's a massive difference. 
being an expert at telling you what to do and how to do it is not the same as actually putting numbers in boxes and hitting send. So, and lots of people can tax file. Um, TurboTax allows you to tax file. It's the tax planning you want, but people think they're getting it from an industry that doesn't teach it. That there's no classes on it yeah. other than ours. And it's just, it goes back to the Chick-fil-A example. Everybody thinks that CPAs are tax planners and none of them are. Yeah. 350 that I know of that are and <coughs> all part of Taxmaster Network. Yeah. So um, you've talked, obviously you're super knowledgeable. We've learned a lot from you. What is it that you offer? If someone wants to work with you, what does that look like? So I'm doing, I, my goal here is a couple of things. Number one, let people know that there's options. And if you know there's options, you know how to solve for those options. Um, so that's the first objective is understanding that there's options out there. The second is, is if you make over, if you pay over $50,000 a year in taxes, I can help you. Um, because, but our tax blueprint that I work with is, is $10,000. We guarantee we'll double your money. So we will save you $20,000 per year in taxes. So if you write a check to me for 10,000 and I come back to you with $19,900 in tax savings, we give you a refund. We have to double your wow. money or we give you a refund. So it's, it's a pretty good guarantee. We're, we're typically around about a 5X as opposed to a, um, a 2X. We guarantee a 2X, but we tend to do much better. Um, the biggest we've wow. ever done is save $760,000 per year for a client. Um, there are some strategies in there. Like, uh, you can insure yourself. You, you pay yourself. If you pay a dollar in insurance, that's a tax deduction. But what if the insurance company's yours? Well, you can actually stash $2.2 million a year into one of those types of insurance companies. They're, they're under fire by the IRS, but it's still legal. And if you follow the laws and check the boxes, we work with an attorney and uh, wow. actually a guy that's both a CPA and a tax attorney to set these up and structure them correctly. And what's interesting about this, that plan is the cap used to be 1.2 million. It was Obama that raised it to 2.2 million is it was a, it was a Republican house and Senate and a, a Democrat president that increased it from 1.2 to 2.2. Now imagine you were stash, stashing $2 million a year and the pandemic happened. Are you worried if you've got five, four or $5 million in your own insurance account? No, because all the money can come out in claims to yourself. That's what insurance is for. This allows you to insure things uh, that no one else thought of. If, if you're in Louisiana and your, your building got flooded, your building will get replaced by insurance, but the income while it's being replaced is not being covered. So the government recognizes that there's a, there's a hole in the insurance market and they filled it with you being able to set up your own plans. If you have over 50 employees, there's no reason you should be with health insurance company like a Blue Cross or a Humana you can actually self-insure, give better benefits to your employees, and um, lower the cost to yourself. Everybody wins. So that's this is what good tax planning does. It just kind of changes everything. It have, changes have how you do passing, does the uh, if you set up this insurance company, your own insurance company, does it is it a taxable entity? Does it have to pay? Yeah, down? but it's taxed as a C corp. Yeah, but the money going in isn't taxed. Only the money that grows minus the fees and there's some fees in it they're they're, they're typically about fifty thousand dollars a year to run so that's why you want to 
if you're putting in $2 million and you're saving 50 cents on taxes, $50,000 is nothing. Um, and you're getting some additional benefits and it's an asset on your books, by the way, you can actually borrow against it. You can't use it because it's an insurance company that has to have liquidity and that type of stuff. But, and there's some rules around that, but it's a, it's an asset. So now you can use this asset that you're using for something else as an asset to leverage the rest of your business. It's just, this is the type of stuff where that's good tax planning and good finance and good employee management all rolled up in one. The problem is that the financial industry doesn't know about these things because all the financial services industries are siloed. Financial advisors know lots about products and, 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 and they don't even know about all products. They only know about their products. If I'm working for uh, an insurance agency, I know insurance cold, but I don't know about money management stuff. If I look for you know Merrill Lynch or a, a big broker dealer or a, an advisory firm, I know a lot about that, but I don't know about the the insurance and I don't know about the taxes. If I'm a tax guy, I don't know about the insurance and the, the wealth management. So you have all these silos that have partitioned knowledge that's very deep, but it doesn't connect the dots. The strategy I just gave you is an insurance strategy that requires assets under management and technical skills on the tax side. So you had to mix all three businesses. Well, how come no one's doing that? Well, someone actually is. The, the business model is called a family office. If your listeners have $20 million or more in cash, they can work with a family office. Since I don't know anybody that's like that, <laughs> that's a problem. So my, my vision for the future is to build, and we've actually trademarked this, fractional family office. Our goal is to take what services, the, the, the service level that combines all these strategies under one roof, our goal is to put that and give it to the roofing contractor. So all the skill sets, and we're having to do this programmatically, and this is what technology allows us to do, is we're still trying to figure it out. So we haven't even really built it all out yet. But that's the direction we're going is to take these silos, connect them so that when we're advising a client, we're advising across all things. And we're not trying to sell them a product that we sell. And that's a problem with financial services. Why, do, why is the 401k the most popular financial services prog- product? Is it the best? Not even close. In fact, every time someone asks me to set up a 401k, my first question is, why? Well, I want to set up a retirement account for my employees, and that's what you do. It's a 401k. No, that's one of a dozen. So why are we doing a 401k? Well, I thought that's what we're supposed to do. Everyone wants a 401k. Well, everyone wants a 401k because they think it's a thing. But if I can save you money, help you save more taxes, then maybe a 401k is not a fit. Let's look at it. And so... The 401k is not as is much of a fit for small businesses. Uh, if you don't have 50 employees, I wouldn't, you know, or even. What do you recommend for a you know 10 employee business that uh, is looking to do retirement? Simple. It's simple. You you know you can put in 100 percent of your income up to like 12 grand. I, the numbers always change, so I I never memorize the actual numbers. But it's 11, 12 grand. So if I have a spouse, I can pay her 12 grand, put her 12 grand into a a simple, I can pay myself 12 grand, but I've just put in 24,000. So unless you, all your employees are going to go above that number. So standard IRA is five, $6,000. So, or seven, that's actually going up from there. So if you're in, if your employees aren't going to, if you're not going to match and your employees aren't going to put in more than 6,000, then let them set up their own IRAs, you know, bring in an advisor to teach it. Um, don't, carry all the fees. 401ks are exceptionally complex instruments. And another people thing that the, the company doesn't know is that when you set up a 401k, 
you become the fiduciary of the 401k. So if the 401k sucks, your employees can sue you. So you're just adding complexity mm. and um, problems. So simples, SEPs, defined benefit plans, cash balance plans. There's a lot of stuff. You can combine cash plans with 401ks. There are some insurance strategies. So you really just need someone that sits down with you and says, what are you trying to accomplish? <clears throat> Every time someone calls me, that's the first thing. They, like I got a call last night that was referred by an insurance company saying, hey, I need a term quote. My first question was why? Well, because I, I need my term insurance with farmers is really expensive. So do you need term? I don't know. I didn't think an insurance agent that sells insurance products would ask me questions as to why I even want the insurance product. Well, it's because I'm not an insurance agent. I'm a financial advisor that sees everything. So I asked him if he owned a business. I asked him why he's buying it, what his objective was. And it really just came down to that he needed a term policy that was cheaper. So I said, call select quotes or life quotes. They're cheaper than I'm going to be. So I actually refer them to competitors because I don't do really term insurance. Let me so, ask how you. But this, that's the idea of kind of combining everything. The, um, so the way I work with people is you call. I'll I, I'll uh, ask you a few questions to see if I can help, and if I can help, I'll I'll help. If I can't, I can refer you to someone. Well, and Excellent. we'll get that, and we'll have that information in the show notes. But I had a couple of things that passed me. One is that how do you work with people? But real quickly, you said if you make. If you paid 50000 or more in taxes, I can save you a bunch. Uh, is it worth it for somebody who paid 25000 in taxes last year? Yeah, I mean, download the book because the book has, okay. it's it's everything I'm going to teach you. Um, so your, your taxblueprint.com, it's everything that I'm going to tell you what to do. It doesn't have the code references in it. When we When we do a tax plan... Every strategy we give you, we give you the chapter and verse of the Internal Revenue Code for that strategy. That's exactly so where I was headed uh, before I distracted myself. So if I'm still working with a CPA that I've been with for lots of years, which I am, uh, respect him highly, but I think everything you're talking about is, is true of him as well. Do you give us a plan and I hand that to him and say, do this? Is that one way that you work yes. with people? So here's here's what you actually get for people that are not in their car. Here's here's the video. This is a it's a it's a hardbound book. Here's every tax code with uh, this is the recommendation. Here's the code. Here are problems. It's called landmines. So this is a book, and there's everybody's going to be a hundred and plus pages. We put at the front of the book um, the the so like this one is for. Joe and Jessica sample. Here's how our mop process works. This is saying you received it. And then the summary basically says, okay, you paid us 10,000. So we guaranteed you 20. And then this particular strategy, we're going to save you. Your first year savings are going to be $123,000 a year. So if you implement everything in here, you'll save 123,000. And then each one of these strategies. So like this one says, restructure compensation. We talked a little bit about this and it says, go to page 45. So you flip to page 45 and it tells you exactly in the tax code. So if you hand this book to a CPA and they say, I'm not comfortable doing that, they're fired because we're telling them exactly where. And this is why we, we actually have a course called the Green Light Academy for CPAs. If you're a red light CPA that's just looking for stuff to not do, I don't want to do that. I, don't, I, don't, I think that's a red flag. 
I think CPAs say things are a red flag that they don't understand because they don't really understand the tax code. So they just kind of throw up this red flag. Like the home office, there's four ways to write off a home office, 14-day rental rule, depreciation, business use percentage. Business use percentage can be split into two. You can either do a business use percentage based on the square footage of your house. So I kind of joke that if you live in New York or California, you're, you're going to use the percentage of the house, business use percentage. You live in Texas, your three-bedroom, two-bed house is not a 1,000 square feet. Like in New York, it's probably 4,000 square feet. So you probably want to use business use percentage by based on numbers of rooms. So if there's four ways to do something and your accountant says it's a red flag, how can something be a red flag when there's four different ways of doing it? The analogy we use is red light, green lights. If I'm at an intersection, the, 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 most, the highest risk of you getting in a car accident 100% of the time is going through any intersection, even on a green light. Can someone run a red light and broadside you while going through a legal intersection? Yes. So going through an intersection is dangerous. So... Would you recommend that I never tell anyone to go ever through an intersection? Well, that's nuts. That's what most CPAs are saying. No, no, no. We don't want to do any intersections because intersections are scary. Yeah, but I have a green light. It might be scary. I might get audited, but I'm not going to get audited because I did this thing. I'm going to be audited because of bad luck. I mean, the likelihood of being audited is, is a half of 1%. I mean, the statistics... The likelihood of being audited, this is actually, I can actually say this, the likelihood of getting COVID is higher than getting audited. <laughs> I'm not so, sure if that I mean, gives anybody the, comfort. That's what drives me about COVID. Yeah, well, but, the, but the math on COVID is not that bad. We don't talk about the math of COVID. We talk about the absolute numbers. You know, right. the United States was the number one COVID. And this is something that you need financial advisors to do. We may be number one in the world, but we're the third most populous country. And the two that are more populous than us, China, can't trust. India isn't testing as fast as we are. So if we're doing more tests than anyone and we're the third most populous country, of course we have the most. The question is, is of the people that get COVID, which we had the most, is our percentage of deaths higher than anybody else? Were we number one in percentage of deaths? And the answer was no. We were 15. That never made a news story. And this is the this is this is the problem is is the way we're reported with news and the way we're reported with numbers and facts is is it's not a good representation of what's really happening. As a business owner, you can't do that to yourself. Don't be a reporter yeah. that reports things that's looking better than they are. You want to know the worst case scenario so that you can adapt to it. And hiding numbers and saying, "Oh, you're doing fine," is not is not what you're trying to do. So. I kind of smuggled in some politics, but the, the bottom line one is it's not really politics. It's just, it's math. We should, we need right. to make math businesses based on logic and math. And Absolutely. that's what we do. So, and then, and, and, you know, go to your tax blueprint. If you like the book, um, you know, you can, you can reach out to me. You'll have my contact information in there. So, um, I'll help you. I mean, if I can help you, I'll help you. If not, we do have 350 members. So chances are there's someone reasonably close to you. Um, and even if there's not, I'll get you a member that I know is better than average. So excellent. Um, and what, what's a, what's your website again? If, if people want to visit it, uh, well, we, you know, go to your tax for the free book. Okay. Um, if Start you want your accountant to under, learn tax planning, send them to taxmasternetwork.com. The corporate corporate address is financial gravity. We own multiple companies, but the, the corporate entity that holds all these financial companies, gravity is financialgravity.com. If you want to buy our stock, you know, financialgravity, 
is FGCO. It's a penny stock, so it's cheap right now. Um, but these are, you know, we're here to help. And we really, and we love the business owner um, because I am one. And I love the entrepreneur because I am one. And I know they're underserved and they need help. And the, the industry that they're looking to is just not, it's not taking up the, the banner that they should. So yeah. we are. If I, if I can ask you one last question, it's this. Of the people that you provide a plan to who present it to their CPAs, what percentage of those CPAs accept the plan or push back? I would say that the, the number that push back is probably somewhere around 90%. Okay. It's very, very high. So, so to implement we, this, they basically have plans, to get a new CPA, one of, I mean, somebody else. They might. So, yeah. If you, if, if you know, don't tell your CPA. I heard a guy on a podcast and he sounded really smart because <laughs> that will drive them nuts. It's like going to your doctor and saying, I Googled WebMD before I came in and I think I know what I want. <laughs> doctor would go, oh my gosh. So, so we all have that problem now. Google hasn't helped us, helped a lot of professions. But, um, you know, if you can show them code, you're basically saying this in the code says I can do this and you're saying I can't do it. Well, I'm not comfortable with it. Is it legal, moral, and ethical? If the answer is yes to all three of those, then why aren't you comfortable? I've even made the, the case that because everyone thinks accountants are infinitely logical because they work with numbers all day. And I'm, I disagree. I think they're actually more emotional because they're terrified of audits, which I don't understand. A CPA makes money on forms and hours. An audit is more forms and more hours. So why are they trying <laughs> to, I never understood that. They literally are trying to avoid the thing that drives the revenue of your business. Yeah. But I mean, you obviously don't want a CPA that's trying to get audits, but you do want a CPA that follows the laws because if you get audited and you didn't break any laws, it's still a hassle, but, and, and the audits are random. So you're not, unless you're super rich and then you're a target, but most people listening are not targets. So if you get audited, it's not anything that, that we recommended or the CPA recommended or did. Um, it's, it's just random. So you might as well use the laws, you know, you're 99.5%. I mean, your statistics of probably dying in your bathtub are higher than getting audited. So I'm not going to tell you to stop taking showers because the risk is there. Um, yeah. And please don't. And accountants <laughs> should, and that's the problem with accountants is they're so risk averse that any risk is bad. And a half a percent is not a risk in the financial. And if you're owning a business, your risk in that business is substantially higher than anything on the audit side. So be smart, do, you know, be, do good finance, do make good business decisions and use the law that was given to you by two different parties, somehow coming together, somehow agreeing on something and getting it codified, use it. They want you to use it. If they didn't want you yeah. to use it, they wouldn't put it in there. They would take it out. Too many people use something and they don't like it. They always take it out. State taxes will probably come down. State taxes are one of the few taxes you don't have to pay. When you sell your business, you're going to be told by the business broker that you're going to have to expect a capital gains tax. That's not true. There are six ways to sell a business without paying taxes. Six, not one, six different ways. So if you sell your business and you pay taxes on it, you hire the wrong people. So there's lots of Lots of, you know, the reason rich people get richer is because they take the complexity of the 70,000 pages and they hire people, but they can afford 500, a thousand dollar an hour tax attorneys. 
Your listeners can't. I can't. So that's why the model is being built for the everyman business owner that needs mm-hmm. our help. So the book was the first, the free book. I mean, you've got, if you just follow the book, you're going to save thousands of dollars. But if you need help and you're paying a lot more, then you really should hire a professional and we'll help you and we'll we'll get it. We have, once the tax blueprint is done um, and you have all the, the strategies, then our accountants are taught to set up a tax operating system so that you're constantly looking at all those. Because if I tell you, you can write off your braces and you and your owner for, gets to tell their spouse and the spouse pays for everything out of the personal checking, they're not getting any of that benefit. So if I set up, if I was going to set up your books, I would actually put a, a marker in your books called medical expense reimbursement plan. And this is where the dashboard comes in. If my dashboard says that number is zero, I can come back to you and say, I know you're married and have kids. You can't tell me you've had no medical expenses this year at all. You know, one of you, I'm wearing glasses, you're wearing glasses. I mean, how often do you replace your glasses? Shouldn't that be hundred percent tax deduction? It can be. Why isn't it? So if I see your books and it says zero and you have a new set of glasses on, I'm going to look at you and say, you didn't write those glasses off through the business because it still says zero. And I know those weren't free. So that's the type of, that's the type of accountant you want. You want what's called a proactive accountant. Hmm. Most accountants are reactive. What did you do? Give those numbers to me. I'll record them and send it and file. What you want is someone that says, I realize I need to put the numbers in the boxes, but I want the numbers that are in those boxes to be smaller. I want the numbers in the boxes to be in different places. An example, I had a, ri- a rich client that was tithing. He was making a half a million dollars a year and he was giving $50,000 to his church. I showed him, on, he had two accountants. He had massively successful businesses, two accountants and tax attorneys. And he had a $50,000 line item on his Schedule C because he made too much money he phased out and didn't get the deduction. So I circled that and said, did you know that you gave $50,000 to your church and it didn't, it wasn't tax deductible. And he's like, why? He says, because you make too much money and it phased out. I can actually show you how to make that same $50,000 tax deductible, but you're going to have to write the check from a different checkbook. That's it. Just change the checkbook and it changes, changes the deductibility instantly. So he had a C corp already for his businesses. We wrote the, the charity out of the C-Corp. doesn't show up on the personal return at all, but reduces the income to the C-Corp. That was about 10 Man. years ago. So, there you go. I mean, that's, that's it's little things like that. And it, it adds up. So It does. It does. Well, man, uh, this has been super knowledgeable. I'm, I'm blown away by it. I'm going to go look at my uh, taxes for this next year for sure. Um, but thank you, you so much. So if, if you're, if in this, we kind of started the, the you can't, if it's 415 um, on a new year, you can't say, you can't go to the accountant and say, I got a blueprint. I want you to apply this for the previous right. year. You can't apply. It's proactive. So anything you do now, there are some things we can do in reverse, but there's so few and far between. We mm-hmm. shouldn't talk about them. We focus on doing what's better this year. But this is a new year. Everybody or anybody year, who's, to who's excited and yet confused, um, it starts with going to yourtaxblueprint.com and downloading the book. And if they read that, then the contact yeah, it's, information it's like is there, how to proceed. It's very, yeah. it's a short book with lots of pictures. I kind of book. <laughs> it's not, it's not pop up or scratch and scratch. So it's not that fun, but it's still, it's still pretty simple. It's, it's very basic, but it's designed to say, these are the stuff you need to look at. At least to give, yeah. give you questions you can ask your accountant. But if the accountant doesn't seem to know the answer, 
or they're pushing back on some strategy, that's that's a, that's your red flag. You yeah. want to use a red flag? Yeah. If your accountant's not helping you, the, I have this thing, and this is a great way to end, is if you if you met me at a cocktail party and you say, hey, John, what do you do? I would say, I help small business owners lower their personal income taxes. And the first question out of everybody's mouth is, are you a CPA? The first response out of that is, when was the last time, and this is a question they all should be asking themselves, when was the last time your CPA gave you a piece of advice that saved you at least $1,000 a year? If the answer is never, time to move on. You've graduated. Move to a different CPA. Now, if you're not yeah. making enough money and your taxes aren't high enough, keep your CPA. Uh, but there's a certain point where you're going to outgrow who you're with now. And, yep. and when that happens, companies like myself or other CPA, there are people out there that can help you. Great. Well, thank you so much, John. Um, super helpful. We'll link to you in the show notes and um, I really hope that people get in touch with you because I know that you'll be able to help. So thank you so much for your time today and um, appreciate you being a part of the Cashflow Contractor. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.